I don't know if I should tell people that you're going to uh, Europe for the fall break. I mean, for the fall semester. We're going to... So, <laughs> absorb Chris while you can as he goes and gets um, even better, if that's possible. We'll miss you. But that won't happen until August. We'll... All right, that's a few weeks. Wait. Hates a good thing. Hates powerful. Hates normal. Hates as energizing as a double or triple espresso, downing two or three Red Bulls. Hates emotionally charged. Hate makes us feel fully alive. It's like having sex or pushing yourself in some high-energy activity. Scientists have located the parts of the brain that consistently light up when we actively hate someone or something. And these parts have come to be known as the hate circuit. It's about four different parts of the front of the brain. And in layman's terms, this hate circuit involves the control of our limbs for taking quick action. It involves a binary go, no-go decision process. And it also activates the very same part of our brain as love. So hate is the dark side of love calling forth similar obsessive attentions. Biologically, this hate surrogate is also characterized by brain inactivity, the part that never lights up when you're in the throes of hate. And those are the parts that are responsible for self-awareness and laughter. They're silent. They're silent when the hate circuit is engaged. They're repressed when a person hates. Hate is like light-filled twin love. It's a, a, a wild emotional journey full of highs and lows. Hate makes us ready to run, heart pounding, blood pumping. We anticipate the fight. Charged by hate, we can make snap, instant decisions and judgments. No hazy in, indecision. And fueled by hate, our attention is instantly focused on the object of our dark love for hate. And hate is good because it's critical, essential to our survival. It's a vital, primal emotion. And it operates by separating the good from the evil. So it's necessary. It's this critical lens for navigating our world. It's a compass. Hate is a compass that points us towards goodness, away from bad, evil. It serves as an anchor for safety. It readily slots segments of society into us, and them. 
through hate, we know where we stand. I'm with these good people who are hated by these bad people. Or I'm with these good people who hate those bad people. In other words, I'm safe with these good people. We're safe with these good people. And we're in danger with the bad. We can experiment with hate's impressive work. Imagine I am standing on one side of a a hate line. And just so we're clear, I'm going to be on the good side. (laughs) And I can imagine things I hate on the other side. I hate spiders. And know that we have many, many, many brown recluses up here on the hill as well as in my house. And I hate snakes. And we share this hill with some enormous snakes. And I'd put scorpions over on this other side too. So see how hate keeps me protected from the venomous creatures that could harm me. In fact, (laughs) just talking about some of these predators gives me goosebumps and makes me feel anxious. My imagination triggers and changes the hormones running through my system. My breathing is shallower. I want you to have a chance to consider what is good and what you hate. And you don't have to get deep yet. What I'm going to ask you to do is to consider some obvious things that you hate. And in your order of service, I hope everyone got a green sheet. We'll talk about the side with the text in a moment. But for now, just turn over to the blank side Grab something to write with if you can. Share a pen with a neighbor. And start a list, a simple list. Again, you don't have to go deep. Of things you hate. Maybe you love spiders, but you hate fill in the blank. And this this isn't anything you have to show anyone. This is just for your information only. And I'll give you just a minute, not long. As you think and write of a couple of things you hate, notice how your body responds to this hate. What do you hate? And what does it feel like? (laughs) What does it feel like? I'll give you just a second. In fact, I'll give you a second and I'll grab a green sheet because I forgot mine. Uh, I'll walk away and I'll get a green sheet (laughs) while you're writing. Thanks. Was that easy or hard? 
easy. Yeah, I think sometimes part of it is easy because it's so clear uh, what our preferences are and what we're afraid of. But this data that you've started is useful. Living in this age and culture awash in hate. And we do this exercise, we observe ourselves because noticing stimulates that self-awareness part of the frontal cortex normally shut off by hate. So it gives us a chance to interrupt how hate normally works in our brain. Hate successfully promotes our self-justifications through this mechanism of closing off our self-awareness. You might be able to smile and laugh at your own imagined situations. The more we recognize our own responses, the more alert we become to our own hate, and we become aware of the hate, how it operates and shows up in others. So hold on to your notes for the time being. We'll come back to it. Since hate is absolutely necessary for our survival, I cannot condone or condemn, excuse me, I cannot condemn its effective, instantaneous ability to draw dividing lines. I admire its efficiency. Hate is a sharp surgical blade. It cuts through the heart of a situation, dividing the healthy from the cancerous. But we have to be aware. Like a surgical knife, it is a complex tool. It distorts as much as it clarifies. For example, tellingly, most people experience themselves not as haters, but as the hated. Let me repeat what hate does to our psyche. We do not see ourselves as haters. And we are keenly aware of being hated. And when we ultimately express hate, it is inevitably in response to feeling hated to being hated. So take a look at the list you made. How do these objects or situations or people hate you? Spiders don't really hate me. Yet, when I clumsily encounter a venomous one, it seems like it must hate me because it wants to bite me and cause harm. We're extremely reluctant to claim any prerogative to hate without cause. However, once we feel someone or some group hates us, we have no problem accessing our hate. Once we feel anyone on our side of the line is hated by someone else, on the other side of the line? Our hate springs into action. We're ready and willing to draw that line between good and bad, us and them. Somewhere along the line in my life, spiders, snakes, and scorpions scared me enough 
I put them over on the hate side. I paid my, do- my brother two bucks to kill every single spider. It was an expensive contract. <laughs> Yet, what scientists and farmers and observers of nature teach us is this hard and fast dividing line of hate is a problem. These creatures are part of a larger, sophisticated, entwined ecosystem. So when the passions of fear and hate move us to erase what we hate, our vision narrows, and we completely miss the big picture. When one or more of these creatures are culled or poisoned by well-meaning humans, if I could kill every darn brown recluse here, unexpected consequences reveal all the ways we're connected. You can't get rid of one part of the universe. You can't lop it off. And that's the simple, profound lesson that biochemist Rachel Carson made in her world-changing book, Silent Spring, for example. Pesticides don't simply kill a single species. DDT kills many insects, and then it builds up in the systems of birds and bats and other animals. So as John Muir, that naturalist, said, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else. Broad hate becomes an easy placeholder for a complex web of many other people or creatures or concepts. The language of hate or its absence shapes how so many individuals and institutions understand and order the world. So hate prioritizes events and actions and people and groups. It helps us define ourselves in relationship to righteousness, fairness, justice, except hate erases all those nuances. It serves as too broad of a brush for painting what is good and just. Hate obscures multiple layers and factors. It oversimplifies intricacies. So while hate feels empowering like you've climbed a mountain and now you can see so clearly through the thin air in all directions... What hate has really done is put you in a small dungeon, a tiny window looking up at the sky, and your view is mostly of that little piece of the sky and yourself. What hate does is it destroys perspective. It constricts our view. It dismisses ambiguity. It can't contain paradox. With the limitations of hate in mind, I'm sure you've noticed how it operates in this political season and news cycle. What we call bias in a newspaper newscast or a video clip. Start looking for the telltale distortions of hate. 
And it happens on all sides of the line, whatever that line is, whatever social, political, geographic, cultural. Notice how this dark love gets stirred up in you, in me. Notice how it allows us to forget everyone is hitched to everyone else. Notice how it serves to justify your own thoughts and positions. Looking for more ways to recognize distorting patterns of hate in myself. I look for when my thought patterns and speech do exactly that, draw a simple line. And when I notice that, when I notice I'm being really binary, I find that hate and fear are often lurking right there. Rejecting rigid divisions is precisely the reason we are a non-creedal church. We don't draw a line defining religious beliefs. And a religious creed does exactly that. All of, the, all of us on this side of the creed, we're in. And all of those on the other side of the creed, they're out. So while binary categories are useful, even life-affirming, I won't befriend that brown recluse spider. No thanks. At the same time, those same categories are misguided and broadly inaccurate. The presence of spiders at Hope is a sign that 2,000 fewer bugs per spider will be there every year. If we kill the brown recluse spiders, tempting. I'm upsetting a delicate balance with unforeseen consequences. Hate dismisses the paradoxes of reality. So to work skillfully with hate and fear, which are normal and good, but have this dark love side, we have to learn to work more skillfully with life's endless paradoxes, including our own. So increasingly, I'm drawn to the work of Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R, Richard Rohr. He's, um, he's a Franciscan monk, and he's a scholar, and he runs the Center for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque. And I'm interested in him because he writes, and he teaches, and he studies paradox. As a critical scientific and religious principle. A core principle of the center claims reality is paradoxical. Non-dual thinking is the highest level of consciousness. Private perfection, or we'd say creeds or calcified dogma, is not the goal of religion. I want you to hear his words. So Rohr writes in his book, Holding the Tension, the Power of Paradox. I'm increasingly convinced that all true spirituality has the character of paradox to it, precisely because it is always holding together the whole of reality, which is both and. Everything is both attractive and non-attractive, light and darkness, 
passing and eternal, life and death. There really are no exceptions. A paradox is something that appears to be a contradiction, but from another perspective is not a contradiction at all. Paradox admits that every profound truth is countered by another, and usually less flattering profound truth. You and I are living paradoxes, which everybody accepts, except ourselves sees. If you can hold and forgive the, par- the contradictions within yourself, you can normally do it everywhere else, too. I'm still quoting him. I'm convinced our work as citizens, as individuals, as a church, as a country, as people wishing to stand in goodness and justice is working with paradox. So that line of his thinking led him to coin the term spirituality of subtraction. We're finally getting to the other side. Because it's the method we'll consider for interrupting our own binary thinking, our own simplistic lens that ignores the world's complexities. We ourselves are paradoxes. One contradictory thought seamlessly follows another. One contradictory reaction follows its opposite so quickly. As Walt Whitman reminds us, we contain multitudes. So the premise of this list, the spirituality of subtraction, is that letting go of thoughts and habits makes us happier. A lot of our unhappiness is from those ruts and ways of thinking that we're stuck in. And the more we're attuned to reality, the more open we are to paradox, because that's reality, we become healthier. And so this list disrupts all those binary things in our life. Hate, uh, I'd even say it, it interrupts our consumer culture. Because hate is like our consumer culture. Our society rewards and emphasizes taking on and acquiring, and broad hate is like a major purchase. You buy into its value, and it reorders all the rest of your life. I live in a big house, and that controls how we spend our time fixing the yard and repairing the roof and where we spend our money and la, 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 la. So we can use this list to look at ourselves and others in light of hate. Since hate is a binary move, spiritual efforts to be happy embrace paradox. So consider what you hate with this list in mind. Moving beyond spiders and snakes, let's say I hate Elmer Fudd. I hate that old cartoon character because he's always out to get Bugs Bunny. I hate him because he turns to violence as a way to deal with his arch enemy. So starting with number one on that list, I'm encouraging myself to ask, is there any chance my perspective about Elmer Fudd might not be 100% right? Let's just say there's a 1%. Maybe Bugs and Elmer really love each other, 
But from where I sit, it doesn't look that way. Calls him that waskly wabbit. So when I feel like I always need to be right, is hate residing there? And if I find that in others, is hate lurking in that binary division of the world of I'm right and everyone else is wrong, or this group is right, they are wrong? Look at number three give up blame or number six give up complaining (laughs) does Elmer blame Bugs Bunny for things he sure complains about him and looking at myself do I complain non-stop about growing violence in the world and what good are my complaints do I characterize and blame the other side as violent not seeing my own Am I able to be critical of violence because I have the luxury of not facing daily violence because of my status, because of my economic situation, because of my neighborhood, because of my skin color? So what I'm proposing, we can't do every single item today, but the list is a powerful way to look at hate, It's also a way just to look at your own spiritual development and progress. Look at number 14, give up attachment. What am I attached to? What is Elmer Fudd attached to? Living in a world without Bugs Bunny? He thinks the world will be much better without Bugs Bunny. Am I equally attached to removing all danger from my life? Okay. It would be nice to get rid of all the spiders. But that's my attachment to some kind of safety that doesn't exist. I want a guarantee of being pain-free all the time. See where I'm going? It's useful as a checklist for our own attitudes and behaviors. And I suggest for this week, just pick one one of the items, the one that resonates with you, the one that you go, oh, well, okay. (laughs) Give up labels? How will I have a conversation with others if I don't use that shorthand label? And ask over and over, asking over and over again, is that label I've rejected, am I now replacing it with another label? Use it to go deeper and deeper and notice things that don't seem to be labels Oh, but they turn out to be. I think the the list will help each of us uncover life's paradoxes. It helps us see the causes of some of our own unhappiness, some of our own depression, what keeps us stuck, keeps us stuck in hatred. And it may help us see what is making others unhappy, what makes them stuck in hatred. So may you see... There is not a single solid line that divides us. May hate be rare and helpful, not constant and destructive. May it be so.